Okay. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. It is good to see you all after a hiatus of the uh, Yom Tovim, the beautiful, beautiful Yom Tovim of Sukkot and, and Yom Kippur. I think we, our last class would have been probably right before Yom Kippur. You've had a wonderful Yom Kippur. I'm sure all of you are pristine and clean, and you're holding on to it for the rest of the year. We've got, uh, we had an amazing Sukkot where we were sitting in God's loving embrace. We had a Simplest Torah. We had a uh, Shemini Atzeret. So we, so we definitely have had an awful lot, and it's been beautiful. But now that we actually are back here and learning again together, it's even more beautiful. Because that's really the whole purpose of all the holidays, is that we should be able to go into the year and spend the whole year doing what's right. But it takes a lot of inspiration and a lot of holidays to get there. So boom, shakalaka, here we are. So I want to thank you all for coming out. And you all for watching and learning with me together. I also want to thank the amazing folk over at Show Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit for employing me and for putting on these incredible classes for so long prior to COVID, BC, before COVID, and God willing, one day after this whole thing, AD, after the, demen the, the dementia of COVID leaves us and the craziness and the chaos and uh, the demonic forces of COVID leave us. Um, I also want to thank the amazing folk over at uh, Torah Anytime. It's an app. It's also a website, and it's got so much incredible Torah knowledge. They just updated their app. I finally started using their app more frequently because now in the app, you can do your, you can listen to Torah classes on double speed. I recommend you listen to me. Listen to me at least one and a half speed. You'll get more information in a shorter amount of time, and I'll probably sound more intelligent because I'm saying more in a shorter amount of time. So... I always listen to my Torah classes, almost always in like double speed. So now that Torah Anytime in their new app, which has so many other features, but one of its features is that you can listen to things in double speed. I am all over that app like a like a, a bee on honey. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, this week is Parsha's Noah. Noah, the story of Noah is generally dominated by the story of the flood. But I would like to talk about something else today. I want to talk about the other story in the uh, the story of Parshas Noah, the one that gets very little press time, the one that does not get so much attention, but it should. And that is the story of the Tower of Babel, the Babylonian Tower, the, the Tower of Babel. We're going to read the verses first together, and then we're going to try to figure out what is going on over here. What exactly are they talking about? And then hopefully at the end, maybe we'll be able to find some kind of connection to connect it back to the story of the flood and all that jazz. Okay, so here we go. Let's see what happens. We're going to look at the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verse 1. Voracious, paragid aleph, pasuk aleph. And the whole earth was of one language and a common purpose. They all spoke Lashon HaKodesh, the Hebrew tongue, right? They spoke not Hebrew, but the, the Lashon HaKodesh, the, the, the holy tongue. And it came to pass when they migrated from the east that they found a valley in the land of Shinar and they settled there. And each man said, they said to one another, Let us go, make bricks and burn them in the fire. Right, to harden the bricks. You, you, you make bricks out of clay and then you harden them in the fire. They said, let's go get bricks and we'll burn them in the fire. But And then the bricks will be for us like stones. And then there'll be 
bitumen, which is like a sticky thing. We will use that as the mortar to stick the bricks to each other. And they said further, okay, what are we going to do with all these bricks? Let us build for ourselves a city, Umigdal, and a tower, and its head will be in the heavens. Vinasa lanu shame, and we will make for ourselves a name penafots alpnei kalaaretz, lest we be dispersed across the whole earth. So we know right now. What do we know so far? The people are settling in a valley. They want to make bricks. They want to build a city with a big tower in it, reaching all the way to the heavens. And they're doing this lest they be dispersed across the earth. And what happens then? Vayered Hashem liros, and God comes down to see. As Ha'ir Migdal, the city and the tower. Asher Banu B'nei HaAdam, that people were building. Vayomer Hashem, hein am echad echad Behold, they are going to be one nation and one language. And this is what they started doing. They started down this path of building this massive city and this massive tower. And behold, it will not be able to, we will not be able to withhold from them whatever they propose to do. So what should we do? Let's go down and confuse their tongues, confuse their language, right? So they will no longer speak to one another in the same language. And Hashem spread them out across the whole earth. And they were no longer able to build the city. Therefore, its name was called Bavel, because the word Bavel comes from the word to be mixed. Kisham Balal Hashem Svas Kalaaretz, because there Hashem mixed up the language of all the people. And from there Hashem sent them out unto the whole world. So this is how the world got inhabited. What is going on over here? What is going on over here? Right? They want to build a city. Okay, big deal. They want to build a tower. All right. What is going on? What's the problem? God comes down. He's investigating. We got to get some investigative, like uh, you know, journalists over here. We got to check out what's going on. And God goes down with his entourage of heavenly angels, and they see the people all together building a city. He's like, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. We're going to destroy it. Why? What did they do? On top of that, it seems like the reason why they're being destroyed is not because of what they did already in the present tense. Right, Hashem says, uh-oh, if they're doing this right now, what's going to stop them from doing anything else? Right, the language that Hashem said is, if this is what they're doing right now, Hashem said, behold, there are one people with one language, and this is what they begin to do, and now what will be held, what, what can we hold back from them, from what they propose to do? We, we better change their language because of what they're going to do, not because of what they did. W- what did they do, and what were they going to do? What, what is the problem over here? This is such a weird story. And by the way, this story of the Dora Mabel, sorry, the story of the Dora Flug, it's called the generation of the dispersion. They were dispersed from here to the whole world. This is when God split them up into 70 tongues, the 70 languages, right? But there's Chinese and there's, you know, Namibian and there's English and there's American and there's, you know, uh, Spanish and Portuguese, right? So Hashem split the world up into 70 languages at this time. And again, it wasn't because of what they did, it's because of what they can do. Something's going really, really wrong over here. What the problem is, they want to build a tower, they want a city. Now, there's many different explanations. And the majority of the explanations talk about this tower being a tower upon which they wanted to climb up and make war with God. 
Okay, there's no question about that. That is a common theme in the different commentators. But what I want to talk about here is the approach of the Abarbanel, one of the early commentators, because I just find it to be so absolutely fascinating. Okay, you guys ready? Are you strapped in? Are you right? Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. What he's going to say is this the people in the generation of the dispersion did the same thing wrong that Adam did, that Cain did, that Cain's family did, that the generation of the mobble did, the generation of the flood did, and that indeed, believe it or not, we're probably still doing it now. We're probably still doing it now. Let's go back to an idyllic time in the Garden of Eden where all was good. The temperature was kept at a perfect 72. But if you didn't like it at 72, for you, it would be 74. Perhaps for you, it would be 63. Because we know all those people who love to sleep in the middle of winter with the windows open and the freezing cold 32-degree air blowing over their sleeping bodies, which is something I don't comprehend. I get sick if I was if a fan of my, <laughs> a fan out in my room, I get sniffles the next morning in a sore throat. But there are people out there who definitely, they like leaving their window open in the middle of the winter and it's 20 degrees outside and ha, ah, they love it, right? Whatever, whatever, I don't ask questions. But when Adam and Eve were in Gan Eden, when they were in the Garden of Eden, the weather was perfect. Maybe Eve liked it at 74 and Adam at 69. And guess what? That's exactly what it felt like. The war, the air smelled like warm root beer. Ah, no. The air smelled fragrant with all the delicious smells of the trees. And there were trees of every kind. The Gemara tells us that when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, the trees would give off entire meals, right? They gave off entire, it wasn't like you went to a tree and picked a nectarine, which by the way, nectarines are fabulous. I love nectarines, probably my favorite fruit, but it wasn't like you picked up just a nectarine. I mean, you could have a nectarine for dessert, but first you'd go over to the tree and pick a, a bowl of steaming vegetable soup. And then you'd go over to the next tree and you'd get a steaming hot vegan steak burger that tastes exactly like real steak. A steak sandwich, I'm sorry. You know, uh, there were, of course, they were, they were vegans at the time. It wasn't until the generation of Noah after the coming out of the ark that mankind was allowed to eat animals. But in any case, at this point, they were not allowed to eat animals. But all the trees were giving off. There was rolls. You could, you could pick off rolls from the tree. And then there was dips. What kind of dip do you like? You like a garlic aioli? There, go to that tree. You want a, a spicy onion dip? Go there. Spicy, you know, uh, tomato dip over there. You like a little bit of baba ganoush over there. And there were meals. There were meals. So everything was great. Why was everything great? Because all God wanted Adam and Eve to do was do essentially what we hope to do in Gan Eden one day, which is in Garden of Eden one day we'll bask in God's glory and focus in on what God is and that relationship between us and God. And it's going to be such a powerful experience. You know, this year on Sukkot, I had just, I had this, I remember at one particular moment in davening, I believe it was the second day of Yom Tif. It might've been the first day. And, you know, I, I happen to love Sukkot. I just, I just love Sukkot. It's my, one of my favorite holidays. Actually, maybe my favorite, but don't tell Pesach I said that. Okay. Anyway, um, so I'm sitting there in Shul. And I'm holding my estrog and my lulav. And this year, I had a whole story with my estrog. I had a beautiful, beautiful estrog, probably the most beautiful estrog I ever owned in my life. And then it was lost for a couple of days. And I was just beside myself. I was like, I was so torn up. 
And I went with my wife to go buy a new asterisk the night before Sukkot. And I told her, I'm like, he said, this is like so terrible. I'm going to go. I'm going to get half the asterisk I had before. And it's like, it's never going to fill that, that void, you know? And Baruch Hashem, as I was in the store of the, the new, uh, that I was going to go buy another asteroid, my wife calls me. She found it in the car. It was somehow we had traveled from Detroit to New York and it was under, got under one of the car seats or whatever. And its box was perfect, still pristine, beautiful. So I, it made me even love my asteroid even more because I was, I was missing it for so long. And absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? So I was, I was sitting there, I'm clutching my asteroid and my lulav close to my heart. And it's the middle of Shul. And it's the first day of Yom Tif, And I was by a very special shul, Rabbi Foyer in, uh, in Bayswater, New York, right? He's got a shul there called the Young Israel of Bayswater, Shara Shemayim. And he himself is a very, very special rabbi with incredible energy. And the shul was just beautiful. And they were singing hollow. And I'm holding, I'm, sitting, I'm, I'm clutching my lulav close to my chest. And I'm, I'm getting ready to start shaking it. To tell Hashem how good he is to all of us. And I already shook it in the, in the sukkah right before. And they were just singing the songs of hollow. And I remember just feeling like waves of joy crashing over me like an incredible like mamish like it, it was a a, a a bizarre experience sukkis is zman simchasenu it's the time of our joy it's the time for us to rejoice in our closeness with hashem and of course by the way the night before i had an incredible meal in the sukkah with my family from all over and we made kiddush in the sukkah it was beautiful so i mean this is just a culmination this but, but this was i just remember this one moment in shul during hollow holding my my little of an estrogen and just feeling so much joy that's what hashem wanted adam and chava to experience 10 times a thousand times greater he's like adam and eve just come in the garden and just enjoy your relationship with me just enjoy being intimate with God, being connected to God, it's such a great feeling when you're connected to the source of everything, to the incredible wisdom of God, to the incredible benevolence of God, to the kindness of God. It's, it's unreal. So Adam and Chava, Hashem, like, look, you don't got to do anything, okay? Adam and Chava, you don't need to do anything. There's no dishes. There's no sponge. There's no mopping, no cleaning, no laundry, nothing. There was no laundry there. At that point, there was no, there was no clothing, right? So not only was Adam free, Adam free to be able to do whatever. Chava was free too. She was free. There was no, there was no dishes to clean because you would just take a sandwich right off the tree. So they literally had nothing to do other than just sit here and bask in God's glory. And guess what? Shabbos is coming. They were born on a Friday. Shabbos was almost there. But what happened to them? They just wanted a little bit more. It's so good, but hmm, there's some, there's gotta be something else out there. Got to be some other greater pleasure out there, right? You're in such a great experience, but there's got to be something else out there that's better than this, right? That's what we, us <laughs> human beings, unfortunately, always think. And what does it say? That the woman saw the tree. The tree was good for eating. But Nechmad, let's see the exact language of it. She saw the tree that it was good for eating. The tree was good for eating. It was beckoning. It was, it was lustful to the eye. And the tree was desirable as a means of attaining wisdom. Now, wait a second. You're with God. You're in the Garden of Eden. You don't need anything extra. You've got everything that you need. But no, no, no. There's got to be something else. I'm going to step it up one bit. Let me go to level two. 
Let me go to level two. I, I, I can't everybody see what I have over here. I've got the garden. I've got the fruit. I've got the trees with the sandwiches and the meals. I don't have any laundry to do. I don't have any, any, any cooking, cleaning. I've got nothing to do other than just be awesome with God. But that tree, something about that tree. Something about that tree. I'm going to get a little bit more. I need a little bit more. I'm going to level up a little bit. And she takes from it and she eats just one more level of luxury, of desire. It's lustful to the eye. It's, it's perceived as, as desirable for a means of attaining wisdom and then looks so good to eat. And boom, she takes from it and she eats and she gives a little bit to her husband and they eat and boom, life changes forever. Why? Because you wanted just a little bit more. Because you wanted just a little bit more. You weren't happy with what you had. You needed to go and level up. Let's see the next story, the next generation, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, what is Cain? So the, 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 the Pusik tells us, what is Cain? This is chapter four, Genesis chapter four, Beratius Dalid. And Adam knew his wife and she, gave, she became pregnant and she gave birth to Cain and she says, I acquired a man with Hashem. Then she gave birth again, and she gave birth to Abel. And what happened to the Cain and Abel? Vayehi havel roetzon, vekayin haya oved adama. Havel became a shepherd, and Cain became an oved adama. What does the word oved adama means? We translate it usually as one who works the earth, but it can also be translated as one who serves the earth. Abel has a pretty easy job. Being a shepherd leaves you a lot of time. You know why? Because the sheep essentially take care of themselves. All you got to do is just kind of hang out with them, make sure they don't get eaten by a dog or a wolf or whatever, hyena. And you got to make sure in case they're like heading towards a cliff, you, you head them off. But for the most part, when you're a shepherd, you spend your entire day just very, very not busy. And what are you able to do instead? You're able to focus on your relationship with God, which is why so many of our great leaders were shepherds. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. King David was a shepherd. Why? Because it's a low-maintenance lifestyle. I get to spend the majority of my time sitting there and, 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 and focusing on God, on perfection, on what I want to do, what I'm supposed to do with my life. But for Cain, he wanted a little bit more. Got to work a little bit harder. He became one who serves the earth. I'm going to fight to get more out of this earth. I'm going to spend all my whole day just wrestling with the earth. Think about the difference between a shepherd and a, and, and a farmer, right? The farmer is sitting there. He's ripping open the earth as he's plowing. This is before the plow was made. Noah was the one who invented the plow. So you have to literally open up the earth with your hands or with a spade or whatever it is. And you're sitting there, you're crunching against the earth and you're ripping it open and you're putting a seed and you got to cover it over you got to wash it then you got to rip out the weeds and rip out the weeds again and you got to cut it down so much so many processes why did Cain do that why didn't Cain work as a shepherd too because he wanted more he wanted more too and when you want more you don't have room for other people Cain and Abel 
Cain brings a, 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 an offering. Does he bring the best of his stuff? No, because he wants more. He's one who works the ground. He is an Oveda Dama. He's a servant of the ground. He's servant of the physicality. He wants more and more and more. So he's willing to give to God because if I give to God, maybe he'll give me back better. But I'm not going to give the best of my stuff because <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm going to hedge my bets over here. I don't mind giving to God, but I'm going to give him my, my day old stuff anyway that I was going to probably throw out. So that's what I'll give to God because maybe it will work. Maybe it won't. Otherwise, I'll just keep doing my own thing. Havel, the one who spent his time in communion with God, he's like, wow, I never thought of this idea of giving an offering, but I'm going to give the best of my best. Of course, I'm so deeply appreciative. I stand here as a shepherd. I watch this flock. They essentially take care of themselves. They're eating the grass that God planted. I'm going to give the best of my best to God. And Cain gets jealous of Abel because Abel's got one up on him. And what ends up happening? God listens to Abel's... Uh, uh, offering and not Cain's. And what happens? Cain gets up and kills Hevel. Cain kills Abel. But then what does Cain do? Cain is not finished. He's the guy, remember, he is the one who serves the earthliness. He wants more and more and more and more. And after he does that, God kicks him out of his place and he says, you're going to be a wanderer in the land. Right? Cain left the presence of Hashem and settled in the land of Nod, in the land of Nod, Kidmas Eden, east of Eden. And then he gives birth to a child. And what does he do? What does he do? Hold on a second. He built the city. He built the city and he calls it Chanof. He wants to be Mechanach, his children. He wants to teach his children to be like me. Want more and more and more and more. Don't just take what the land will give to you. Fight for more, right? This is exactly what he becomes. He becomes a person who teaches his kids. And then that is the story of Cain. And Cain's children, indeed, follow in the footsteps of their grandfather. And they want more and more and more. And they build cities and they make angry. And they're stealing and robbing and committing adultery. Because that's what happens when you want more and more and more. Your wife isn't enough. Your house isn't enough. The whole world was filled with thievery. Thievery of people, thievery of possessions and property. And God's like, bam, we got to start over. And then comes the big flood. Now they get out of the big flood. There's very few people coming out of the flood, right? After the flood is over, eight people come out. And they start settling the land. And all you got to do is just settle the land, live with nature. Live with what nature is going to give you. But no. And here's the key. Says the Barbanel. They decide to build a city. Build a city and a tower. What does that mean? I want more. Level me up. I started out my life with a Honda Accord, but now I want a Cadillac. And I had a Cadillac for a bunch of years, but now I want the Lexus. I had the Lexus for a bunch of years. Now I want the Bentley. Level me up. I want more. I want a tower. I want height. Let's build, let's make bricks. Let's get more physicality. Let's live together in one city where we can all, instead of each man living on his own land, doing his thing. When, before they build the city, what is it? Every man is on his own little farmstead doing his thing, happy with what he has. But no, we're going to build cities. And the cities are going to be places where I'm going to always wake up in the morning and look at what my next door neighbor has. Oh, he's got those kind of shoes. Oh, he's got the Bruno Mollies. He's got the Ferragamos. He's got the Tory Burch. 
Oh, I want that too. Oh, look at him. Oh, he just got a new car. I want a new car. Oh, look at him. He's building a tower. We're going to make lots of stones and build big tower. What do you need a tower for? Nobody needs a tower. A tower is built to say, look at me. I'm bigger than you. And you look at all the skyscrapers of the world. They don't make sense necessarily, except for the fact that it's bragging power. Look at me. I am bigger than you. And God sees that humanity is just going to become, once again, so focused. They're going to be living in these tight-knit quarters, in these tight-knit cities. And they're going to be just living. Everyone's going to be looking at what everyone else has and being jealous and trying to up uh, one-up the next guy, which is what, we, what God saw already. That's what caused the mobble. The mobble is everybody became jealous. Everyone was so focused on instead of developing their spiritual side, focused on developing their physical side. And trying to get more, 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 more plata, more money, more shiny, more big, more new, whatever it is, more designer. And that is what caused the generation of the flood. And God's like, look what's going to happen. They're going to do it again. They're going to start living in a city. That's what God is saying. Why were they not content? They were spread out. They were living in a valley. There was plenty of good rain there. They had so much over there. Why were they not happy? Why do they have to go and build a city? Let's become one people and build a big city and boast and show everybody we're bigger than you. Why? So what does God say? I can't, I can't let this happen again. I can't let this happen again where everybody's going to be looking over at what everyone else has. And it's going to start with all the jealousies again and the rivalries and the fighting and the stealing and the thievery and the fraud. How much fraud, how much stealing takes place right now in our communities? Because people want to live like the Joneses. Because I want, I want a tower also. I want a big city with lots of big bricks. I want a big stone house. And I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get there. And Hashem says, we're just going through the same pattern again and again and again. Adam and Eve, I put them in the garden. Things were good for them, but they wanted more. What was their punishment? God said, you want more? You're going to have to work for more now. But it's going to be so sad. I didn't want you to have to do this. And I'm kicking you out of Eden, where you could have been close to me. And you could have had great waves of joy and pleasure experiencing a relationship with God. And instead, you're going to be spending your time. Thorns and thistles will grow for you. You're going to be fighting. With the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat bread. And he kicks him out of Eden, the place where all the food was growing on the trees. And then Cain and Abel go out there. And again, Cain says, I could be a shepherd like my brother, but I just want more and more and more. I'll fight with the ground. I'll serve the earth. I'll serve the physicality just to get more and more. And when I suddenly see that my brother has more than me, the jealousy, the anger, the enmity, the killing, the destruction. But instead of teaching my kids, you know what? I should have learned from my brother how to live happily like a shepherd who just watches what goes on and appreciates the kindness and benevolence of God. No, I teach my kids. I'm going to build a city and call it Hanoch. I'm going to teach my kids to be the same way as me. The more, the more we live in cities, the more we live in places where we're all on top of each other, the greater the amounts of 
jealousy and, and desire and covetousness. You know, I go out, I go out west every year. I go out west usually twice a year to you know, Montana, Utah. And lately, we've been going to Montana a lot. And um, God willing, the organization that I lecture for, Heritage Retreats, just bought a property in, in Montana, 40-acre property. So I'll probably be spending a lot of time in Montana specifically. No more going around to Utah and Colorado and California and wherever else, all those, Idaho, all the other beautiful places, Wyoming. That was nice. It was nice for many years. We traveled from place to place, but now we're going to be set in one place, God willing, and they're going to build a beautiful campus. Um, but, you know, you see the people out there and they live out, they live out in the country on their farms. And of course, there's, there's definitely no question about it. There's some level of, of jealousy, sort of some level of like, you know, um, kind of like who has got, who's got the nicer F-150 or F-250 truck or whatever it is. I don't, it's not like I'm living under a rock where I think all the people in Montana are not materialistic at all. But I remember I, I one time I, I walked into a, uh, I walked into a, a, like a deli there in Montana and I was wearing, I actually try extraordinarily hard not to wear any labels on my clothing. So I don't believe I should be, I, I just don't think it's a nice thing to do to wear labels on clothing, generally speaking, because what are you trying to show everybody? Look at me, I have this and you don't have that. So it's just not, it's not my thing, but I happen to polo shirts are hard to find polo shirts that don't have any label on them. I'm sure you can find them, whatever it is. But anyway, I had a, it was a simple banana Republic, like a little elephant. So I walk into the store and the lady behind the counter, very nice lady. And I came to buy some snacks or whatever. She's like, I like that 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 polo shirt. What what is that elephant? I said it's Banana Republic. She's like, hmm, what's that? She had never heard of Banana Republic. Baruch Hashem, you know, Baruch Hashem. She had never heard of Banana Republic. You know, like they live out there in the country, and most people wear jeans and a big buckle and a plaid shirt and a cowboy hat. You know, you go to the you go to the you go to the the, the rodeo, and there's a simple there's a certain simplicity. To living out in the country there's just less focus of i have more than you the more we clump ourselves together the more urban we live the more we're by new ear we build a city and a tower inside of it the more the jealousy rises the more the desire for physicality the more the desire to show off i've got more i've got better and i gotta tell you i remember i had, I had a, a friend of mine's father grew up in romania the Carpathian Mountains, I think it was Romania, whatever, somewhere in the Carpathian Mountains, at the foothills of the Carpathian Mountains. And he ended up becoming a very successful businessman, like very successful. But he said to me, I just remember, I look back at my favorite times of my life for just like living in a little hamlet in the Carpathian Mountains. Life was so simple. Hashem wants our lives to be simple. Hashem wants, just enjoy me, God says. Enjoy my Torah, enjoy my Shabbos. Enjoy giving to other people. Enjoy the, the, the things that are so easily accessible. But we again and again and again keep saying, but I want to build a city and I want to build a tower. And I want to be able to show off how much I have. And I want to work the earth. I want to become a worker of physicality. I want to spend an extra 20 hours a week, a week at work every week so that I can have bigger, nicer, better, shinier. And it's to our great detriment. And God comes down here. God says, it's not even about what they did. It's about what they're going to do. I know how the story ends. I've seen this story happen before. I saw it with Adam and Eve when they wanted more. I saw it with Cain and Abel when Cain wanted more. I saw it when Cain's offspring, who he taught 
to want more. He built a city and called it Hanoch. He built a city, he said, come, let's live together so everyone could see what everyone else has is. And that's what he was teaching them. That's the Chinuch he gave them. And that, of course, caused the great flood where everybody was stealing and rotten and treacherous. And now you want to do it again? So God says, I got to put a stop to this. I got to scatter the people out. And that's what he does. He scatters the people out. He says, stop it. So I think that's really an amazing, amazing lesson about what life is all about. What are you chasing in life? What gives you pleasure? What are you working for? Are you working to be in the Garden of Eden or are you working to build a city in a tower? You know, recently I heard a podcast. There's a, uh, an excellent podcast. It's called Kosher Money, I believe. Um, it's two Langer brothers. The Langers actually go to my in-laws bungalow colony and I know them for many, many years. And it's a, it's a wonderful podcast called Kosher Money. And on one of the episodes, they had a rabbi on, and I was very surprised. They asked, yeah, it's called Kosher Money. And on one, of the, on one of the episodes, here's what it looks like. Anyway, on one of the episodes, they asked uh, a rabbi, they had on a very, very respected rabbi, and they said to him, they were talking about how, unfortunately, you know, Jewish religious life is so expensive. So of course, there's a tuition issue, which is a major issue, but there's also the extravagances. And the interviewer asked the rabbi, like, is there any requirement on the rich person not to be extravagant? I mean, I know there's a requirement on the person who's not rich not to be jealous. That, that I know, right? The Torah very much clearly says in the 10th commandment, lo sachmod, do not be jealous. Do not be jealous of your friend's house or his wife or his car. His car, of course, in those days was his animals, right? His shoro v'chamaro, right? Don't be jealous of his, that's the modern day equivalent of his car, right? So I get it. I know the Torah says, that the person who has less should not be jealous of the person who has more. But does the person who has more have a requirement to tone it down? And I was shocked. I was shocked because the rabbi said, he's like, no, I don't know of any source. But the reality is, I mean, first of all, I, I, can, I can tell you a couple sources, right? Number one, Hashem says, Ma'ashem doresh what does God demand of you? Ki imasos mishpat. Hold on a second. I'm going to get you the. I like to give exact quotes. I don't like to give a uh, a messed up quote. So I'm going to give you the full exact language. The pasuk is v'atznei aleches mashem alokecha v'atznei aleches. Here we go. Higivacha adam matov uma Hashem doresh miimcha. This is a pasuk in Micha, Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. God tells you, what is good? What does Hashem demand of you? Do justice. And love God. Walk modestly with the Lord. That's source number one. Boom. That's source number one. Now, on top of that, Give me one second. Give me one second, guys.
Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, I can't find it right now. Um, sorry about that. But I believe it's the Archa Sadikim that says, uh, that has a, 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 uh, a chapter called Shar... Give me one second. I'm going to look this up as well because I want to read it to you. Shar Kina. Yeah, Shar. Okay, so it's the Arch of Sadiqim, the path of the just. And he talks about um, he talks about all about uh, the the badness of the the challenges of Kina. And he says something fascinating in this. He says, uh, he says, it comes jealousy comes from feeling bad about yourself. From jealousy comes enormous fights and all that, which again is exactly what we've talked about. Um, and how all these cities cause so many problems. Um, hold on a second. Um, he talks about the good kind of kinaf. You, if you are um, okay, I can't find it right now. But he does say somewhere in here the concept that of all character traits, right? Meaning I don't have a requirement to make you not lie, right? I have a requirement not to lie. I don't have a requirement to make you not lie. I have a requirement to not steal. I don't have a requirement to make you not steal. But interesting, when it comes specifically to the area of Kinnah, we see that the great rabbi, says the Arch used to pray that I should not cause other people to be jealous. As a matter of fact, if you daven Nusuf Sfard, which is what a lot of the Jewish people daven, we say you daven every day, you pray to God, you beg God, please, I should not be jealous of others and I should not have the jealousy of others rise up upon me. Now, if you're walking around, if you are the first guy in your neighborhood to buy a Lexus, again, depending on your neighborhood, there are certain neighborhoods where if you buy a Lexus, you're like, <laughs> poor guy, I don't know, I heard he's going through a tough time. Yeah, he had to buy a Lexus this time. You couldn't afford a Maserati, whatever it is. So if you're in that neighborhood, no problem. Go buy your Lexus. But if you're in a neighborhood where you're going to be pulling up in your Lexus next to a, a person who's got a, a much smaller car, and it's, his kids are going to look and say, oh, daddy, why can't we have a Lexus? Do you, do you want to put other people through that? Do you want to cause other people that pain? And he brings down, he says that basically, when, he, when it comes specifically to Kina, that we have a requirement to try to not have other people be jealous of us. Now, again, it, it's not always possible. There are times where a person has certain skills or certain, certain things about him. A person happens to be blessed by Hashem with great money. And there are, there are places that talk about it. What do you do if you're blessed with Hashem with, by great money? How do you make sure that people shouldn't be jealous of you? But the bottom line is, is that we have a requirement to try to not make other people jealous of us. Here we go. Here we go. Here, I found it. Finally, I'm sitting here while I'm talking, I'm scrolling. Okay, here we go. Says the Archa Sadikim in Sharakina, Hachachamim Harishonim Hayu Mispalim. The early sages would daven, that we should not have jealousy on others, but others should not be jealous of us too. Okay. Why would they specifically daven? that other people shouldn't be jealous of them. They didn't dive in that other people shouldn't lie to me. They didn't dive in that other people shouldn't steal from me. They didn't dive in that, dive in that other people shouldn't get angry at me, even though all those things, they would dive in on themselves that they shouldn't steal, that they shouldn't get angry, that they shouldn't lie. 
But this is the only one. They would daven specifically that other people shouldn't be jealous on me. This is the explanation, says the Chobos Many people cause other people to be jealous of them. They walk around with the big fancy belt buckle and the fancy ties and the fancy clothing and then the clothing that has all the logos and the labels. And people see it and they're jealous of them. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a bad thing to cause other people to be jealous of you. Therefore, they would daven about other people. Maybe they're causing other people to be jealous of them. The Torah says you shall not place a stumbling block in front of other people. If, you, if, you're, if your whole neighborhood, everyone's driving around Honda Accords, and you suddenly plop down, with a Lexus, or your whole neighborhood is driving Lexuses and you plop down with a Bentley, whatever it is. If you're the guy who's always got, you know, the Hermes tie and the Tory Bird shoes and other people in your community can't afford it, you're causing other people to be jealous of you. The Torah says, don't put a stumbling block in front of other people. Therefore, it's a good character trait of a person to not wear clothing that's overly nice or overly expensive. Not his children, not his, not his wife. It comes to other things too. I mean, it's fascinating. Sometimes you see kids, little children are walking around and they're bedecked in designer clothing. You can assure, I, I can be assured that a four-year-old kid could not give two hoots about whether he's wearing designer clothing or non-designer clothing. What does it mean when a child is walking around with designer clothing? Which by the way, now his mom is much more vigilant. Ah, don't, don't play in the dirt, poor kid, poor kid. Because mommy wants to show off to everybody that she can buy her children designer clothing. Now this poor kid can't play with the rest of his friends or she's so nervous. Oh, don't fall, you're gonna, you're gonna rip your new pants. I just bought you new pants. You know how much those pants cost? They're $110 for those pants. You can't rip, you can't, don't rip those pants. Poor kid. But what are you causing other people? Now the neighbors see. Mommy, how come we can't have this? Why can't we have, it's not fair. And that's what happens when we live we build cities. Everyone lives right on top of each other. And we build towers. And this is what the Barbanel is saying. This was the problem of the Dara flood. This is the problem of the generation of the dispersal. Hashem said, I got to save them from themselves. Every time I see humans getting into competition and looking for more and more and more and level me up, more luxuries, more, 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 more. They get into anger and they get into jealousy and they get into problems and thievery. And again, unfortunately today, how many people do all kinds of forms of fraud and tax evasion and all that? So what? So they can have a little bit more luxuries in their lives. So they can drive a later model car. God says, I don't want this. And he's literally disperses the people across the earth, takes away the language. They should not, I don't want them living clumped together in a city. Of course, humanity, of course, still hasn't gotten this figured out. We're still making the same mistake as the people of the Dara Flaga. But there's a reason. There's a reason why we pray every day that our jealousy should not be, I should not cause other people to be jealous. I should not cause other people pain. It's a very difficult thing. I don't want to minimize it. I don't want to make it sound like 
I don't want to make it sound like anyone who wears anything designer is 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 bad or anything. But I'm saying like I think we we really need our, our communities need a reckoning about how we show wealth and the amount of people I, I, on the same podcast, by the way, the same podcast, Kosher Money, they had an episode where they were interviewing this guy named Rabbi Naftali Horowitz, who's an amazing, uh, I think a senior VP at, at, at JP Morgan Chase, private bank or whatever it is. And he, you know, he, he services clients from all over the world, very high net worth individuals. And he was telling a story about how somebody had him come in uh, from Lakewood to New York. And he said, don't worry, I'll have my friend come pick you up. So, okay, he's waiting outside. His friend comes to pick him up. This guy, you know, the, the, whoever was who asked Robin Horowitz for a meeting, his friend comes to pick him up. And he's driving this beautiful brand new Range Rover, right? A Range Rover, brand new Range Rover costs about 100, between, between 90 and 110, right? Depending on what type of stereo system, stereo system you have, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you get the Meridian, you get the Burmeister, you know? Okay, anyway, so... This guy comes and picks up Rabbi Horowitz in a brand new Range Rover. And uh, when they get to New York, they go park it. Now, of course, parking in Manhattan is a fortune, right? It's like $48, $58. And I, when I left, it was $48. And I left 16 years ago. It's probably, oh, you'd like to park your car? That'll be $174, please, plus tax, 218 you know, whatever. So the guy's going to park. And they're parking in a, in, in a parking garage. And the guy's like, okay, you know, the guy says it'll be like, you know, $64, whatever. Like, but your car is an oversized car, so there's a $28 surcharge. And the guy looks at Reverend Tully Horowitz and he's like, I can't even afford to put gas in this thing and they want more money from me. So Reverend Horowitz says to him after they park, he says, I don't understand. If you can't afford to put gas in this car, why are you driving it? He says, that's what everyone's driving these days. That's what everyone's driving these days. Do you see what's going on? It's so, it, it's heartbreaking. In our desire to build cities and build towers, we're creating a culture of competition and, 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 and physical up one, one up, upmanship that is, is really hurting people, driving people into debt. Now, again, I, if I was talking to the person who was in debt, I would say to him, you have a responsibility not to be jealous. And of course, that is exactly the case. That is the 10th commandment. You have a responsibility not to be jealous of others, not to feel like you have to live up to the Joneses or the Coneses. But the Cones does have a responsibility to tone it down. Which brings us back full circle to the beginning of the story of Noah. I said, we're gonna talk about the tower. And now that we understand the tower, which according to the Barbanel was God's decision to not allow mankind to just keep climbing all over each other figuratively and metaphorically through the building of cities and towers and living next to each other and looking over, what is this guy driving? What does this guy have? What is he wearing? And so on and so forth. God was trying to get them back out into Montana. Eventually, even though he gave them very different languages and dispersed them across the whole land, they ended up still building cities, right? Not in Montana much, but, but in the rest of the world. And we still struggle with the problems of the Dora Flaga. However, I want to point out that this comes full circle to the beginning of the story. If you remember, why did the why did the flood happen? Because the people were living and they were being jealous of each other. And Cain had taught his children to go live in cities. He built a city and called it Chanoch. He's teaching his kids, live in cities, watch what everyone else has. Yeah, want this, want that, want more. Want his wife and his car and his job and his house. Want it, want it. And they did, and they ended up, committing adultery and, 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 and robbery and thievery and God had to wipe the whole world clean. Who didn't die in the, in, in the flood? 
Who didn't die in the flood? It says that God wiped out everything, right? Let's see. Let's see the verse. And you're going to tell me if you want to type it in. If you know the answer already, you can type it in. But here it is. Um, here we go. We are in chapter 7, verse 21. Okay? Parag Zion, Puzzle and all flesh that moves upon the earth expired among the birds, the animals, the beasts, and all the creeping things that creep upon the earth and all mankind, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life of everything that was on dry land died. And he, God, blotted out all the existence that was on the face of the ground from man to animals to creeping things and to the bird of the heaven. They were blotted out from earth. Only Noah survived and those with him in the ark and the water strengthened on the earth for 150 days. Who didn't die? You know who didn't die? Fish. Ah, that's right. Fish didn't die. It says that God wiped out all living things on the ground, all that creeped and crawled on the ground. Fish didn't die. You know why? Because they stay below the surface. Blessing will only be upheld in that which is away from the eye. When we brag, when we show off our wealth, when we show off our blessings, the blessings, God says, I'm taking that blessing back. You're using your blessing to cause pain to others. I'm taking that blessing back. But when you stay below the surface and you're not hurting anybody else, no one's, no other kids are saying to their parents, why can't we have a nicer car like, like the cones? When you're keeping it low profile, then you get to survive and you get to thrive. The generation of the flood, which was caused by, according to the Barbanel, by all this, this jealousy. Those were the ones who were wiped out, but the, those that lived below the surface, they stuck it around. The key for us in life, you want God's blessings to continue to proliferate upon you, stay below the surface. Alrighty. And that pretty much is all we've got to talk about for right now. And I look forward to seeing you next week and have a wonderful week. And thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being awesome. And you guys can talk. Actually, I didn't, I didn't even mute you all.